here, have a dollar. In fact, no, brother man, here, have two. Two dollars means a snack for me, but it means a big deal to you. Be strong, serve God only. Know that if you do, beautiful heaven awaits. As to pull my rope for the first time, I saw a man with no clothes, no money, no plate, Mr. Wendell. That's his name. No one ever knew his name, cause he's a no one. Never thought twice about spending on an old bum until I had a chance to really get to know one. Now that I know him, the give of money isn't shared. Howdy, everybody. Cable Smith, welcoming each and every one of you into episode 75. Did you say 75, Chisholm? 75? Sound right? Yep, 75. You're you're befuddled. You're reading up on Roe versus Wade, I assume. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but anyway, yep. thank you guys for being here. This is episode 75 of Justified Pursuit. I'm Cable Smith, riding shotgun as always, the good counselor, Chisholm Cook, looking very dapper with his all grown-up haircut. I don't remember the last time I saw you with short hair. Yeah, uh, short-ish hair. It would have been the fall of 2015 was the shortest it has been uh, in quite some time and that's when i was growing it out so when we when we went on that first elk hunt it was like half grown out at that point uh it has not been this short since then you look so mature yeah thanks yeah uh we've got a lot to get into today uh, but first what's going on in your world and then you'll return the favor and ask me how i'm doing right uh better week than last week uh last week was i don't know well you had the kids and no the spouse was gone. Right. That's always, well, that's hilarious like to start with. Every day something was going wrong out, you know, at, mostly like at work. The The kids actually was the least of my concerns mm. uh, just in terms of, you know, trouble. They, they, you know, at this point with a 13-year-old and 11-year-old and even a 7-year-old, they've all become sort of self-sufficient like man right. my 11 year old charlotte is so awesome she would be uh i'd you know i'd get up before everybody and kind of get lunches started for the girls and then have to go do my morning business and when i got done with that she had like finished packing lunches for them and made sure they'd had cereal and are you talking about like way. your normal your routine of like meditation or are you talking about like taking a dump uh the latter <laughs> my my breathing and my uh prayer and bible study had to take a back seat a couple of days last week to just uh get the kids out the door mm. and then being on phone calls as soon as i was done so mm. yes yeah. it is nice to have a helpful kid that can help uh foster or, or step in and, and like parent a little bit to the other kiddos especially the younger ones yeah it's awesome i don't know very, that Henry really helpful does that i think maybe one of the girls more parents him sometimes but uh anyway well good i'm glad this week is uh going swimmingly for you uh yeah it's that's off to a much better start feels productive you know it, when you got stuff going wrong left right and center man like by the end of the week they were starting to turn around and you know things that were a complete mess on tuesday by friday were actually like I mean, a complete 180, like went from a customer yelling at us to a customer asking us to lunch. Cause he was like, Oh wow, y'all are really good at this. Hmm. Um, but you know, a lot of stuff gets backburnered when you're fighting fires. Right. So like I've been the last two days just playing catch up on stuff I should have addressed last week that I couldn't because of all the stuff that had to be addressed in real time. And, you know, such as life, it, it's one of those things that 
I've gotten so much better at the last few years of kind of keeping the long perspective of stuff like this too shall pass, you know, right? like while you're in the heat of it, the ability to not just get angry and to lash out, but to know like all of this stuff is going to sort itself out, whether it's tomorrow or two or three days or even a week from now, like everything will come back around. Uh, it's a very good place to be. Um, but mm. that doesn't make it any, you know, it, 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 I get, no, I say that I take that back. It makes it easier moment to moment to, uh, endure it, but, um, it doesn't make it easy. Right. Right. Yeah. I, uh, had this weird moment with my dad over the weekend. My grandmother passed away Friday night. She was 96. And I think about the last two years and, and someone who was in poor health when the pandemic started to live through it and then just die right as basically as soon as life got back to normal. Yeah. I feel so bad for our senior citizens, dude, that have, that are in assisted living communities like my, my grandmother was uh, that basically just lived in isolation for, I mean, yes, they, she might know some people in the place, but her family couldn't go see her for the better part of a, a year and a half. And her health continued to decline and, and it was just, oh, it's, it's sucked, but 96 is a good run. And, uh, she's, it's That's a, good, a great run. That is really sad. But yeah. I mean, yeah, 96. Is, yeah. She's with my granddad now finally and, uh, devout Southern Baptist. So a woman of faith and, and, uh, a woman of a few words, but kind of like my granddad, when she, when she spoke, uh, you listened to her and the older I got, the more I like listening to her talk about what it was like, um, uh, 50 years ago, raising kids, you know? Um, but I think there's lots of wisdom that is there. And I think our generation doesn't always soak it up. Like I wish that I would have spent more time with my grandparents talking to them. Uh, but you know, hindsight's 2020. Uh, but anyway, back to what was going on with was my, she was she pretty I mean obviously she was in uh, her heart finally just scaled out like her blood pressure just was going down 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 they were had had her on this medicine. My mom's like, I'm sitting there in the hospital with my sister, my brother other both my brothers had come and and they had left and I hear my mom talking to the nurse and she's like, well, we just kind of want to keep it how it is at least until tomorrow and my sister and I just looked at each other and my grandmother's sitting there squeezing my hand saying, I'm hurting, I'm hurting. And, and she was cognizant when I got there, by the time I left, she was kind of fading. And I was like, mom, what is going to change between now and tomorrow? She's like, well, your kids haven't said goodbye. I don't want my kids to see her like this. I want their last memory of their grand great grandmother to be a positive thing. This is not, this isn't uplifting. And she's not going to remember that they were here at this point. So we talked her into it. We all prayed over my grandmother and she was just saying, sweet Jesus, sweet Jesus. She was ready to go, dude. She was ready to go to heaven. Was she still pretty, you know, mentally competent? Oh yeah, like, yeah. yeah, sharp. She was so sharp. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I guess if if I could relate a little bit and share a personal story on this front, um, I'm not sure if you and I have ever talked about it. I know I haven't talked about it on the show, but in 2015, probably right about this time of year, it was definitely spring of 2015. My grandmother on dad's side passed. Mm -hmm. She was. I want to say she was 89. She was right at that 90 year old mark. Um, <clears throat> a few years before she passed, maybe two, 
I had been down in her neck of the woods. She lived um, like southwest of Houston near like Fulcher and Simonton where my aunt and uncle live. Um, you know, she was, she'd lived in the Corpus Christi area for since forever. And somewhere in the like late nineties or early two thousands, they moved her up there to be closer to her and to them. Anyway, I happened to be in the area. Uh, so I stopped by and spent a couple hours one afternoon with her and, you know, at that point, like there was a couple times where she totally lost track of what she was saying and blanked on me. And, but you know, I, I do that and I'm half that age. Right. Mm. But she told me during that conversation that like, she was, um, she basically wasn't eating and hadn't been for like a long time, like for a long time. And she was really having a hard time drinking enough water. And that was causing her, she was like chronically dehydrated. So she was having these you know, chronic urinary infections. And that was also contributing to some of the spacey moments and stuff. And my grandfather had passed away in like 1985. And so she'd been alone at that point for 30 something years, you know? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, well, I called my aunt and uncle. So my dad has, has a, a an older sister, an older brother, and then his uh, his twin brother had passed away actually before my grandma. So you know, two older siblings, and I called them both to talk about what I had seen. I was like, "Yo, I think we really need to talk about getting her some help." She didn't want to go to a nursing home. Um, I think they had somebody come in to check on her, some like a health, like a hospice care type person, and that was the person who was telling her she needed to be drinking more water and, um. There was a real reluctance from uh, from her kids uh, to sort of forcefully intervene in the matter. Mm -hmm. And you know, I didn't. I, I don't remember exactly what my thoughts were at the time or what I was sort of suggesting, but it just seemed clear to me she was struggling to take care of herself. But you know, what do you do with somebody who doesn't want to go and who's still mentally competent? You know and mm -hmm. You know, they took what I had to say uh, seriously, and we had a, maybe it hadn't even been two years. It was probably a year before she passed, and I think I even said, "Y'all, I'm just worried that somebody's going to find her laying on the floor in there." Here well, that's what happens, and that's when my my yeah. grandmother's hip started to go. Uh, yeah. This last cycle, she broke her hip. Yeah, there was no, yeah. she never could walk again. This was six months ago. She broke her hip, and I was like, 96 years old. This is the beginning of the end." Yeah, they they listen. <clears throat> My aunt stopped listening at some point because we used the F word too much. And I'm not sure if she's picked it back up because I did make a point to try to get the word to her that we've been reining that in. So she may listen. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if my uncle listens or not. Uh, I know his, my cousin does and her husband anyway, or at least they did for a while. So sure enough, you know, she was found unresponsive on the floor one day and taken to Katie to a hospital there. And, um, we were living up in North Houston. I was actually supposed to head to Louisiana for work. And I called and said, Hey, I'm heading to the hospital. Yeah, no problem. So I got there right after my aunt who lived, you know, a mile or two from her. So that's 30 minutes from the Katie hospital. And my uncle had already come over from Clear Lake area. So I was the third person there. And there was the doctor. So they've got her, they had resuscitated her but she was in a coma. Right. And so the doctor comes out, 
to talk to us about the state of things, right? And is explaining like, you know, she was without oxygen for a while. Um, you know, she's kind of at this point, you know, she's, he was like, our options are basically to either take her off life support and let nature take its course here or crack her chest open and do open heart surgery. I think it was open heart surgery. Um, to try to repair whatever had happened and, um, but understand that, you know, she, she could be basically a vegetable. We have no idea what will happen after that. And my uncle is, you know, very emotional at the time. And he immediately is like, do it. Well, just do it. You got to do it. You know, we got to do what we can. And my aunt made a face. She like winced. And I, I was, I guess what I'm getting at is <clears throat> I was in the exact position that you just described. Right. Where that generation of removal. Um, not that you didn't love your grandma just as much as your mom did. Right. This is your mom's mom or your dad's mom? My mom's mom. Mom's mom. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I think we always understand from the from being babies that, you know, grandparents aren't going to live forever. Right. Right. I think, you know, as I think, you know, kids of a person understand that too, but I, I think that there's such a gap between a grandchild and a grandparent. It's a little bit, I don't know, man. Like it's, it, she clearly winced as if she knew that maybe wasn't my grandma's wishes. And I was in this position where based on what I had seen a year or so earlier, um, and kind of talking to her about like, she, she says, if she didn't say it directly, she had sort of alluded to the idea that she wasn't real happy being alone anymore. Yeah. Right. She had lived alone for a long, long time. And, you know, there was a day where she did a lot of traveling with this, these folks from church and stuff. And, um, you know, she was just sort of enjoying life back in like the nineties, but you know, that, those days had been two decades prior. Right. And so the look on my aunt's face, I saw something was up and I was like, aunt Jean, is there, does, did Nani have any wishes as far as this, this moment did she have a you know a living will or anything and she looked at me and she's like yeah yeah she did turned out she had a dnr which is a do not resuscitate that was yeah. her wishes that if when this day comes don't do this and we had already breached that technically my mom breached that with my grandmother yeah um, and, and listen you know in an emergency moment <clears throat> when the paramedics show up like i think with this case i, don't, I think the paramedics got there before even my aunt did. I don't remember who found her. You know, that has to be communicated is the point, right? Because they don't know what to do. They're just going to immediately try to save a life, right? Um, unless the person's wearing a bracelet or something that, that has all that information, right? So when she said that, you know, the doctor was like, the doctor had already sort of tried to nudge the situation in that direction, right? Like, y'all need to understand that this is not going to give... she she's gonna be miserable for months if we crack her chest open she's a frail old lady right you know? i think she'd be you know and it was really just my uncle who was like no 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 we have to, you know and, and so i looked at him and i was like uncle robbie if you do this that's not what she wants let her go home to god and your your, your dad you know it's time obey her wishes here and he was just like, yeah, you're right. And that's what we did. <clears throat> but we kept her alive until 
basically that was, you know, that morning. And by the, by that evening, a cousin had come in from Mississippi, you know, other cousins from the Houston area. My folks had made it up from Corpus. So everybody got to rally around her as they took her off life support. And man, it was like a minute later and she had passed. So, you know, I was my grandma about 24 hours, but I mean, by the time I left, she had gotten progressively worse and I was there for like three hours to where I don't know if she ever had another like cognitive thought once they took her off of the thing. Like I I actually went and told the nurse, I said, my mom has had a change of heart and as tough as it it is, she's ready to make the call. So I need you to go back in there and tell her that she's making the right decision because you deal with this all the time. And, uh, and so he did. And then by the time I left, they were queuing up the, I think they had to move her to a new room to, to do that. Um, and then she was gone within 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is I totally feel for you having had a very similar experience and, um, you did, you did the right thing and it. And I, I, I've thought more and more about this and there's a lot of other stuff going on in life these days that gets you thinking about this we talked about it at our church life group the other day like this well we're, we're getting older too and so mortality is something that i know i certainly think about having kids and you're a father of four like it probably crosses your mind a lot more than it did when you were 21 for sure there's for sure that but what, what i'm thinking about and, and meditating about and praying about a lot is just um stepping in to lead the family you know as kids you're the kid, right? In your twenties, you're still invincible. Not not a peer of like your parents. That's how I felt. And, and your grandparents. Yeah. Okay. Which definitely shows that you're not mature enough to handle these moments yet, right? If right. you think you're invincible, you're not mature enough to handle yeah. your grandmother's uh, mortality. Uh, you know. But you get into your thirties and definitely forties, like we're at now. And to your point, I think we're just at a at a stage in life now where um, you know, not to say that we make all the decisions on behalf of our parents, grandparents, and everybody else. Right. But it's a totally different dynamic now. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you wouldn't have had a say in that 15 years ago, No, but this time you did. And that's, I think, I think that I guess what I'm getting at is it's like just a natural progression of human life is that when you become a father, a seasoned father, right. It's not like you got a baby in the house. You got, you know, a 10 year old in the house right? We got a decade of this job under our belts now. Um, even if your parents aren't totally ready for that yet, they're like, we, we've seen it with my in-laws and a few times with my folks too, where it's like, um, they may not realize it until you step in to help with something like this. But then all of a sudden they're like, they appreciate they're more deferential than you might expect. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and I got to give my, my sister a lot of credit too. Cause she, she was right there yeah. with me. Well, and she's helping. in her thirties, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and she took care of my mom throughout her whole, uh, COVID ordeal, which dude, my mom still has brain fog, like words that, and she's a very well educated person. And there'll be times where she's, in, in mid sentence and she'd be like I, I can't remember the word and like oh, so yeah. this brain fog thing is real it's not you just 
tugging at everyone's heartstrings. Woe is me. No, it's like a, a real thing she's struggling with. And apparently a lot of people do that have had COVID pretty bad. Um, but anyway, I'm thankful for my grandmother's life. Uh, I wish that I would have gotten to spend more time with her over the last two years. COVID kind of prevented that. And then there, there are times when you reflect, you're like, man, I was selfish. I should have gone and seen her the last six months when I could have. Guilt is a stage, dude. It's like, you're going to feel it. You know? Yeah. Um, but so we were over at my parents on Sunday after she passed and my son's been kind of an a-hole lately as far as talking back to his parents and thinking that he knows everything at nine years old. And I like, I literally was like, dude, I already told you today after church, you got into it with your sister. I told you I was going to spank you. And I haven't spanked him in six months, probably the last time I popped him on his bottom. And uh, I was like, I'm going to wear your bottom out if you talk back to me again. And dude, mostly it's threats. I'm, I, I admit I, I threaten more than I actually come through as far as I don't want to spank my kid. Um, yeah. I'd rather take his phone away. But apparently that's not and he doesn't have a phone that he can call people. It's basically playing video games on his phone. Right. Or to ground him from his friends or something. But I was like, I have, I have had enough. And so he did. He popped off to me again at my parents' house. And I said, honestly, I'll let your granddad spank you. He spanked me. And my dad's like, yeah, and I don't have to deal with that anymore. You spank him if somebody wants to spank him. I was like, oh, so you're, you know, it was like this surreal moment of like, he is his father's son and I am my father's son. And the three of us are all looking at each other like, hmm, how ironic that now you're having to deal with this as a dad. It was, uh, yep. Yeah, he was just kind of smiling like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> that's just how life go <laughs> oh so anyway uh aaron has her acl surgery tomorrow so lots Ooh. of stuff going on yeah i'll be yes, that's a good thing but sorry about the vacuum noise in the background yeah it's all good oh, hold on for um, a second. is it bad no nah, i don't hear it okay yeah so we got that going on um drop the dog off at the trainer won't see her again for four months that's about everything that's going on in, in at the Smith House. Let's talk about what's going on in our country with the well, let's start here with the disinformation governance board. This came down about, I guess, the day after we recorded last week. And I, I mean, there's no other way to say it than I mean, it, it's an indirect violation of the Constitution of the United States of America, first of all. Um, it is censoring free speech and I've heard this term lawful, but awful thrown around now, uh, on, I think it was on Bongino's podcast. So I sent you that link to that, uh, uh, that think tank, right? The Brookings institution, I think where they're talking about podcasts being regulated because of all mm -hmm. the lawful, but awful conversation on podcasts. Right. 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 Yeah. But guess what? In America, you can still have, uh, awful takes on things. And it's still protected by the First Amendment. So now we have the government. And they, it's so weird. They, they ferried in Obama to be the messenger because I guess he's the most liked Democrat on the planet, right? He's, uh, he's got to be the like, only one that's got even close to you know, a majority appeal, which I don't think he does. Well, so they bring him in to basically announce that they're going to be doing this. And this was last week. And um, it's for all the listeners that have read 1984. This is the Ministry of Truth. That's what this is in, in real life. We are now being faced with a government 
that is going to attempt to censor free speech. I never thought in my life I'd ever see something like this. Were they, op- were they openly admitting it? Yeah, we're, this is what we're doing. It blows my mind. Uh, have you said Ministry of Truth yet? Yeah. Yeah, you just said that? Yeah. I, I was looking some looking up Obama polls. <laughs> so there was a, a poll out there. Uh, dude, I mean... Dude, I mean, you're you're in, now spacing out. Maybe we should all be other your ass. No, I was trying to. I was I was working on the show, man. <laughs> trying to help the show. <laughs> I, I'm gonna take some. Maybe you shouldn't give the dog right a napkin. <laughs> uh, man, it, uh, this is not me spacing out. This is me being exacerbated by this. We have talked since day one of this show about 1984 and all of the 1984 like crap in American life these days, in global life these days. What is more 1984 than a disinformation governance board housed under the Department of Homeland Security? OMG. We make up the rules as we go, Chisholm. We don't like what we don't like that. So uh, now and here's the thing, dude, for someone like me that that makes a living on partly off of social media, um, my other my day job and certainly we use social media we don't have a lot of followers on our justified pursuit page but we use it to keep up with the people that do follow us and put news out there and um but for someone like me that does make money off of it like it's pretty scary because they could just be like um hey uh instagram kick this guy off your platform we don't like his messaging like okay now they're affecting not only my free speech but my ability to make an income um it's pretty scary and and dude that's the tip i hear you and certainly agree but to me it's the tip of the iceberg man like the end of democracy like it's this controlling things in perpetuity it's them stacking the deck so far in their favor show me one example that mayorkas that director of department of homeland security or this jankowitz lady Nina Jankowitz, who's going to be in charge of this thing, yeah, who, by the, the way, minister. is a Brookings Institute fellow who has, she's a disinformation scholar, which is hilarious, disinformation fellow at the Brookings Institute, who just two years ago was calling the Hunter Biden laptop, laptop story Russian disinformation, right? You want to hear something ironic from her mouth? The thing from Bongino? Yeah. So this yes. is Nina uh, Jankowitz. While Trump is in office, take a listen to this hypocrisy. Imagine that, you know, with President Trump right now calling all of these news organizations that have uh, inconvenient for him stories that they that they're getting out there that he's calling fake news and now lashing out at platforms. I would never want to see our executive branch have that sort of power. Um, And that's why, you know, the legislative process with our duly elected uh, officials is really important. That sort of consultative rulemaking process. Um, What the hell? Like, how could anyone take these people seriously, dude? Dude, let's run it down. (laughs) The Clinton campaign claimed that there was a backdoor channel of communication between the Donald Trump campaign and Russia, uh, that there was election meddling. Uh, that that was that that you know everything that was that, that was coming out about her was Russian disinformation slash misinformation, and right now as we speak, five years later, there's a 
court case pending to prosecute her attorney for having lied to the FBI and the evidence has already all been put out there proving that they made the whole thing up. And they spent four years claiming that was true and trying to trying to impeach President Trump over it. They being CNN, ABC, NBC, MSNBC, basically everybody uh, but Fox, I guess. Mm-hmm. So pretty blatant example of disinformation. Thanks, Ash. Um, then again, the, the Biden stuff, right? Uh, we have in, a link in one of our prior show notes about in, in July of 2019, the New Yorker magazine published an article about whether Hunter Biden would be a liability to his dad because of shady business dealings going all the way back to the Obama administration. And then a laptop gets dumped on the world in the fall of 2020, a month before the election, showing all that evidence, which by the way, the FBI was already investigating him for that gets you gets wholly deleted from the internet. 50 former, former members of the quote intelligence community sign a letter claiming that it was Russian disinformation. That's been proven false. That's going to trial as well. That's now been acknowledged as of the last two months by the New York Times as having been legitimized. Dude, I had five more examples. Oh, COVID stuff. Um, Claims about the number of deaths being pushing a million. And then states like New York, when it was time to try to rein it all in, really acknowledging, oh, well, like, we might have overcounted the number of deaths from COVID by 40%. A year and a half into this process, they start saying the things that we were saying from day one. Did they die from COVID or with COVID? If an 80-year-old dies with COVID, was it a COVID death or an old age death, right? Um, The kids being hospitalized from COVID. Fauci came out a few months ago and said, ah, many of these kids are dying with COVID. Again, show notes on all this. I haven't updated the show notes in so long because I keep telling, we keep, we keep telling you all the same stuff. Like it's already all documented in these notes that we have. Shots, vaccines. The president was saying even after, even after Fauci and CNN and the CDC were saying that the shots won't keep you from catching it, which is of course how they were sold to us or spreading it. The president was still saying, if you take the shot, you won't get COVID. That's my Biden. That's my Trump. That makes me, that reminds me, we need to get Mickey on here to talk about the state of his uh, military exemption that's been denied. Cause I do want to find out what our servicemen and women are going through two years later. Like, They don't, the shots don't work. They don't work. So why are these people being forced to get vaccinated or lose? I think he's been in the reserves for 17 years in the air force. And they're like, Hey, we're going to possibly kick you out. Your mil- your religious exemption has been denied. Like, yeah, we got to get him on. I, I mean, you just wait, we were going to do it a second one last week. So yeah, yeah. just tell me what, anyway, man, I mean, the, the list is, they changed the definition of a vaccine to accommodate the fact that this thing is not a vaccine, right? On and 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 on. The media and the government have been guilty of at least different disinformation, if not flat out lying to us. And most of the time they're flat out lying to us. In fact, Obama, who to your point is the salesman of this crap in 2014, I think it was time magazine, some major publication that is certainly left leaning gave him liar of the year award when it became abundantly <laughs> dead, dude. Obama <laughs> got, liar got, of the year award. 
he got a award i'm a liar of the year award let me let me figure out who it was from probably have to go to DuckDuckGo because google probably won't probably cbs news december 13th 2013 uh yeah 2013 but isn't that a badge of honor in the on the left if you get that award it's like you're probably doing you're doing great work for them politifact the most left-leaning fact checker you can name in 2013 named barack obama the liar of the year for in 2008, when he told people that if they liked their health care plan, they could keep it under the Affordable Air Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare. He knew when he said it, he was lying. That's why they called it the lie of the year. Hmm. I guess it was the lie of the year. They didn't call him the liar of the year. But he knew when he said it, it was a bullface lie. It wasn't something he mis- was mistaken about that turned out to be inaccurate or there wasn't a change made. He was lying when he said it to sell the thing to the American public. These are the people who get to determine what disinformation means. I even heard somebody the other day saying that, yeah, information can change. However, you know, certain information is more important than other information. And what they were basically saying is things like the Wuhan lab, Wuhan lab leak. There's another good one. Oh, that, that would be suppressed for sure. All of this, under all this of, like, dude, it already was being right. All this right. is is a formalization of what's been happening. My point is all this is. Yeah. This is a formalization of what has been happening since forever. Now right? they're just openly saying, this is what we're going to do this now. Right. And, and to, and to that so point, like if, if we just, what this person was basically saying is that if we determine that the public interest is better served by lying to y'all or hiding the actual truth from y'all by calling it disinformation, we're going to do that. Even if we think it's a 50, 50 proposition and 24 months later, it turns out, Oh, we were wrong. We'll let the chips fall where they, where they're made later on. Yep. Cause we want to make, we want to control your brains right now yesterday's right? conspiracy that's what theory. they're doing. today's regular old conspiracy exactly yeah they and and to that lady's point from the clip you just played man one of the things that the democrats are notorious for right is for example eliminating the filibuster on judicial appointments mitch mcconnell no big fan of his tried to warn harry reed when he was the senate majority leader under obama that if you would do this, if you eliminate the filibuster, it will come back to haunt you. That's the filibuster is the idea that unless there's 60 votes in the Senate to approve an, a position, appointed position or a bill, then any member of the Senate can filibuster the matter, which literally means they can take the, the stage and talk until they're blue in the face and they basically can kill the bill, right? Or kill the appointment. He tried to warn them. Keep in mind, you won't be in power forever, but see, the left thinks that they're <laughs> the left has thought for a long time that their manifest destiny would be that as the demographics of this country change to basically white folks and particularly uneducated, non-college educated white folks become a minority in this country, that they had such a power grip on the minorities that would become the majority that they would get elected and stay elected forever. They really thought that the Obama administration meant that. Right. And then two years later came a red wave, you know, like the country had never seen until the one that's pending. Right. Right. And they realized, oh, well, well, I guess we're not quite there yet. Right. But McConnell's point was, if you do this and we take back over, you're not going to like it. And then he proved to be a prophet when seven, six years later, seven years later, Trump comes into office with a conservative Senate that he kept the entire time. And because that filibuster had been eliminated, every one of his judicial appointments got through on a party line vote. 
when they didn't have 60, they had 52 or four or whatever it was, right? So if the filibuster had been maintained, they could have stalled out all of these conservative Federalist Society ju- uh, judge and justice appointments, which we'll get to in a minute. I have a, I have a question. Coming you. home to roost last night with this crazy ass leak of this overturning of Roe versus Wade. Yeah. If the two Georgia Senate seats wouldn't have flipped on in the runoff election, what would be different about this country today? Has Biden actually done anything? Has he been able to do anything? Any of the things he said he would do? Anything substantial? The only thing I can think is there was the huge multi-trillion dollar spending bill for, quote, COVID relief, which was really just a big hand hand out to banks and everything else where everybody got their $1,200 check, which, you know, didn't amount to one-tenth of what they spent. Maybe that goes down. Maybe. I, I, but I know there was like what about Katanji Brown eight, Jackson, right? So Jackson, there were there were Republicans in both of those instances that crossed over. Uh, in fact, there were enough Republicans on that stimulus bill to hit the sixty vote mm. filibuster proof minority majority. Um, Katanji Brown Jackson, Justice Katanji Brown Jackson. Um, I don't remember how many got her, you know, voted for her. But there were several Republicans that crossed over. So to your point. Looking at it, probably not a lot. Maybe those two things. But other than that, everything else that's been done has been done by the administration without, you know, Senate um, approval. Yeah. Or backing. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. I mean, in- engagement really to speak of. I mean, there's probably been some other judges that have been appointed in the meantime that, you know, we don't hear about because they're just. Are you paying attention judges. to Herschel Walker's Senate? Uh, uh, I'm aware of it. I'm not, I can't say I'm campaign? paying attention to it. I mean, he's going to be running against Warnicky. Warnicky? Warlock? What is the guy's name? Yeah, he's a warlock. Yeah, pastor Raphael Warnock, the the pro uh, abortion pastor, hardcore pro abortion pastor. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, back to this pro abortion Christian pastor. pastor. Weird to say that. Uh, I want to play a clip from Peppermint Patty now because if you remember. You are hey, listening back, to a lot of Dan Bongino these days. <laughs> going back to, um, no, this isn't. I don't think he played this clip. Well, this the, isn't the Peppermint Patty moniker is. Oh, I'm pretty sure I heard him saying it first, but everybody says it now. So yeah. Um. So, but but going back to remember whenever the narrative on who defunded the police shifted, and and she kind of was like, it was the Republicans that wanted to do that. <laughs> Beautiful piece of dis- disinformation. Yeah. Yeah. So here is. This is in response to uh, questions regarding the disinformation governance board. You'll be amazed at who was responsible for actually starting this. Check this out. So here's what the board is going to do, which I think is of particular interest. Again, a continuation of the work of the former president. So for anyone who's critical of it, I I didn't hear them being critical of the work under the former president, which is just interesting to note contextually. Liar. <laughs> Just a lie. Bold-faced freaking lie. What does she say after that? Like, what is she actually talking about? Is it because he was calling out fake news? Or yes, is she claiming yes. there was actually pieces in place? Well, I'll play a little bit more of it. I don't know what she says. Yeah. This is let's let's take a listen. But in the fact sheet that they put out, what they noted yesterday, what they noted in there is that this is meant to uh, one, the first bullet was about protecting privacy, civil rights and civil liberties and the First Amendment. They said the primary mission is to establish best practices to. to, to I'm sorry. How can you be protecting the First Amendment with a 
a disinformation governance board. You're doing exactly exactly the opposite. Um, another hey, quote of hers. Uh, I'm not going to play any more of that. But war is just, peace. War is peace, uh, right? Like yeah. The, war is peace. Uh, what are the other three mantras of the two mantras of of the party of of Ing Sok? It's, it's war is peace. Uh, hate is love. Um, well, the party comes first truth, is truth is lies, something like that. Yeah. Uh, so her other quote is, and this is from a Yahoo News headline. I don't have the actual audio, but she said the disinformation governance board quote will be nonpartisan and apolitical. <laughs> that right. might be the best quote yet. Like, why are you doing it then? Well, uh, because you want votes. There's no other reason why. Let's be very clear. The only reason that this is happening is because of the upcoming election. There is no other reason why. None. Zero. In the history of America, we have never had this problem. Now they're freaking out because they're losing their stranglehold on minority voters. And going back to what you said about uh, Spanish radio in Florida earlier, like that's who they're going to target specifically is because they are losing the Hispanic vote by the thousands. Yeah, so more, we when he do? rolled this out, Mayorkas talked extensively about protecting Hispanics from Ooh. disinformation. Hispanics are so stupid, they can't figure it How out for themselves. patronizing. I mean, what have we been talking about since day one, dude? The left, white leftist elitists from the coast believe that minorities in this country need their patrony and their protection from radical extremists who would convince them to quote vote against their interests. Do know? Do they know where these people came from? They know what's best for everyone. Do they know where these people came from and what they were up against. A lot of them. But hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. They also think that black people are too stupid to have a a legal identification card. Well, you know what's amazing, dude? Or too inept. Like, oh, they're black. They don't. They don't have an ID. I, I just rambled off what eight or nine instances of disinformation promulgated by the establishment. Over just the last three years, well, going back to 2016, but really just the last two years, you know, the, the COVID era, right? Of examples of them providing disinformation that has since been proven as such. Yet, if you listen, they don't have not a single example of these conspiracy theories to point to that they're protecting people from. I think, I guess the only one would be like the Pizzagate thing from QAnon. Which, for those who don't know, Pizzagate was an allegation that a pizza parlor in New York was running a child's, uh, you know, basically a child, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, man? Like uh, trafficking, child trafficking, child sex ring, right? So some guy took a a AR-15 or whatever down there to try to, quote, deal with it himself and got himself arrested. And they, that's the best example they have of, QAnon conspiracy theories. Meanwhile, as Elon Musk pointed out yesterday, which let's throw that hot take out there here in a second. Mm -hmm. Ghislaine and and Epstein were doing exactly that. Right. And everybody knows it. And nobody cares. Right. And (laughs) speaking like even if the Pizzagate thing itself was off base, the premise seems legit. There were teenage minority girls being trafficked by a guy to people, including the Prince of the Prince of England, dude. Like, so you, you said nobody, nobody cares. 
I want to ask you, and I and I do this a lot because I honestly about what I don't know. You just said it, and it made me think of this. Um, oh, nobody cares that Epstein was, was right. running a child sex ring on a freaking occultish sex island. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the casual. Let's not even say hardcore, but just the casual Democrat voter who's going to vote Democrat regardless, but they're not kind of like the one that wants to sit down and have a conversation about politics with you. Do they give a crap about the disinformation governance board, like about free speech being censored, a violation of the First Amendment of the, the Constitution? Like, does that person care or do they think, oh, that's good. That'll just keep conservatives out of power. Scary orange man, bad. Real liberals. Governance board, good. Real liberal, liberals are not down with this. Um, in fact, the... Is my little brother down with this? Is my little brother down with this? Maybe, but I don't consider him a real liberal. He's a, a sleep woke person. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he... What, what about your I sister? Mean, I think they're kind of this cut from the same cloth. Like, Yeah, no, I would lump... I mean, without having had a chance to talk to her about it, I would lump her in with that as well. I think like, she's a little further along in waking up. I think. I hope. He's definitely not. Right. I mean, like, I know that she questioned Hillary enough, even in 2016, that, you know, she she told my brother-in-law, I know she's crooked and dirty, but I could never vote for Trump. Right. And then, you know, she's not unaware. She is aware of the allegations against the Clinton campaign right now because I tagged her on some Instagram stuff from... <laughs> from uh, uh, Russell Brand and gave her no choice but to look at it. But um, yeah, I mean, right now, your brother is, well, how old is he? 31. Right. I mean, yeah. by American well, standards 31. in 2022, he's a baby. No so, offense, bro. But Does he care? I doubt. I doubt that he cares. Like, I doubt that he cares yet. But I have a feeling Just like that he in said, this, the, this uh, decade of his life, this this eight, this thirty year old range, thirty something range, he's gonna start to wake up. Yeah. Well, because like when I told him about the the Russian hoax and the uh, Durham investigation, it was kind of like, eh, that was five years ago, bro. Who cares? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe this will be one of the things that begins his red pill moment. Maybe he'll look at this and be like, well, this doesn't sound good. You know, censoring free speech doesn't sound good. Hmm. Th- yeah, the government that- telling us what's true and what's not. Any American should be like, well, that's a little weird. Dude, let's let's recap a little bit. <laughs> We've already shared with our listeners, uh, you know, through the podcast and through our show notes that you can go back to the 1950s and the CIA has been meddling in the news for over half a century now. Right. They have to have something to do. Period. End of story. Um Bernstein and Woodward exposed all this back in the 70s in Rolling Stone magazine that the federal government had been tinkering with. They, they tried to claim it was all foreign news they were in, interjecting in, you know, to like set up the overthrow of, you know, some small country with lots of resources so they could establish a banana republic and take it, take all of their oil and gas. But we know that they've been doing it inside our newsrooms as well. Right. Mm. Every time you turn on a news station and you hear, Sources are telling us, especially if they're saying intelligence sources. My God, you know, you're being manipulated for an agenda, right? Sometimes that doesn't mean that every single thing the government tells us is a lie, 
right? But no matter what they're telling you, it's for somebody's agenda, right? Yeah. But the difference between what they're doing now and what they were doing then is when it was all just the television to get your news from and the radio, which was all FCC regulated, right? Then everything was already pre-filtered and American public didn't really know about it, right? And then the internet came along and blew all that to high hell, right? In the 90s, this technology was unleashed on the masses that was as that was that is more powerful than the Gutenberg printing press, right? Mm-hmm. The Gutenberg printing press, which was, I think, invented in the 1500s or whatever, you know, was the first that, that, that took an illiterate society that was relying on their preachers to tell them what the Bible said to a mostly globally literate society who could read things for themselves, right? But it was still fairly expensive to get a book published. So there was at least still, and people have to sit down and read stuff, right? So there was still some control of information, some ability to shape the public consciousness. Certainly once people ditched the written word for the TV, then it became completely possible. And I point out the FCC thing because every single station on television, cable and everything is regulated by the FCC. Every radio station is regulated by the FCC. That's why I have to bleep out cuss words of my That's guests right. for the, for my radio show. And then for the last 20 something years, nearly 30 years, we have had this, you know, weapon of information mass destruction known as the internet, where anybody who's got a computer and a ethernet connection can, you know, local area network or whatever can put stuff out there. And, you know, now we're at this place today where Joe Rogan, as we've talked about, has more viewers slash listeners to every Spotify on Spotify, a paid subscription service. Every one of his episodes gets more listeners slash viewers than all of the major cable news networks in any given slot at night combined. So take Tucker's time slot. He's the biggest host of a cable news show in America. at just at like 3 million viewers. All the rest of the, like the guy, the people he's competing with at MSNBC, CNN, et cetera, combined for like one to two. Joe gets 12 million to 13 million per episode. He's not just bigger than all of them combined. He's bigger by two or three X, right? And he can go online and he can go online and say whatever he wants in that form. And he always has, right? We can say whatever we want for now on this show. Mm. We have a hundred something listeners and thanks to all y'all. But anyway, so it's like you knew at some going to get us back on Spotify too. Yeah. Yeah. I've been meaning to do that this week. Sorry. Because we suck. Um, that we was all broken. have our warts. That That's was broken. That was broken by a previous handler. Um, yeah. but I'll leave that alone. Anyway, you kind of knew this was coming, man. And I, I, I'd, at some point, right. That, that we knew that they were going to make a power move that the Senate and the house have been debating for four or five years now, you know, taking away Facebook and Twitter's, uh, charter chapter two thirty exemption, which basically keeps them from being regulated like a publisher, which is hilarious because Twitter clearly acted as a publisher in censoring Hunter Biden about, you know, a year and a half ago, right? Their, Dude, their latest thing the- they did uh, was they took down the account that was monitoring the uh, Lysane Maxwell trial, like just deleted it. They're like, no, we don't want, we're trying to suppress the fact that all these elites and politicians were pedophiles. So 
eh, we'll just remove the account. Protect ourselves. Yeah, man. So one of the things I wanted to point out was they put this in the Department of Homeland Security, man. Everybody knows that the Department of Homeland Security was created in the wake of September 11th, 2001 by the Bush administration and Congress at that time. I think I said on here one time that it was just a few days or a few weeks and they had that many hundreds of page bill prepared. It was like 60 days. But there were still people at the time saying they pulled this thing off a shelf. They had they were either waiting for a moment like this or <clears throat> some people think they engineered that moment to roll out the Department of Homeland Security. There have been people for 20 years now spouting these exact concerns that one day this thing that we've created, this new, this new, dude, every authoritarian regime in world history has used fear to impose its will on the populace in the name of protecting them. The Department of Homeland Security, just the, the title of it is authoritarian control through claim, claiming to protect us. Right. And they desensitized us over the last 20 years to the idea of spying on us, mostly through spying on communications we're having with people overseas. But, you know, part of the way that the Trump spying devolved was few people in his campaign would have conversations overseas. So then they would be listened in on not that they were listening, you know, that the transcripts just say, you know, American citizen number one. Right. Talking to whoever, but then enough of those conversations that are recorded would cause the FBI to take that information to a FISA court and get a warrant on Carter Page to then listen to everything he was talking about, right? Mm-hmm. We, had, we had torture going on in the na- name of Homeland Security, as we all know. Which we've talked about, kind of still had different opinions on that. I'm pro imprisonment. We had imprisonment of alleged terrorists. Anything for the party. Many of whom are still in jail at this moment without they're in jail in Gitmo without due process, right? They specifically put them on Cuban soil in a you know, in a base that we really have no business holding so that they weren't on American soil to prevent them from having any kind of due process claim. Then Obama bombed an American citizen with a drone strike a born, a natural born American citizen without due process, claiming he was an enemy combatant. All of this comes from the Bush era, right? Of course, that's where they're going to stick the... And I hate that as an, uh, a middle-aged mm-hmm. person, I'm learning more and more that, eh, as a 20-year-old, I was like, yes, go conservatives, love Bush. And that's not, maybe not such a great president after all. He gave us the, um, the, the modern day surveillance state. And this is just the expected and logical outgrowth of. Well, so, okay. And go back to January yes, 6th did. and people but being imprisoned without due process there. What do you, what do, you do when your were- country's been attacked on the, the, the biggest attack since Pearl Harbor? Like, what, how do you respond to that? You have to do something. Like, you defend liberty first and foremost. So, and they didn't do that. Don't give. Uh, they stripped you, Americans of liberty in the, in the name of security. And yeah. Benjamin Franklin warned us in the 1700s that those who would give up liberty in pursuit of, of security will gain neither and lose both. Mm-hmm. Very famous quote. 
What do you do beyond that? I don't know, bro. But you don't start by stripping Americans of their liberty and their and their right to to you know their right to uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, well, due process first and foremost, but to to privacy. Mm. Which again, if we want to transition to the Supreme Court now, no, no, one other thing before we do that. So YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki, is that how you say her name? Wojcicki, something, something like that. I I think it's in the ballpark. I know. I so heard it the other day, I don't know. She has already confirmed YouTube will be working with the government to uh, with the Disinformation Governance Board, willingly, even flagging stuff for the government. Here, take a look at this. Maybe, uh, maybe we should, maybe we should think about removing this content. So, I think you. There's do- a gigantic reckoning coming on this front, man. Gigantic reckoning. Um, but I, you know, I don't remember if I ever mentioned this. I know I've tried to look it up, and I can't find proof of it. But that's not doesn't certainly doesn't mean it's not true. Supposedly, the FBI or the CIA or both, but I think the FBI has offices in Facebook's campus. Right. I have heard that. Yeah. Yeah. And I would presume all of them. They definitely, I mean, they, they definitely work with Google all the time. This is their only chance to, well, that's how they won the last election, in my opinion, was through censoring content on social media. We know that, I mean, we, we've all read that Time magazine piece where they all admit it that, yeah, we actually did this. Um, you guys said we were doing it. We said we weren't, but we, we really did it. And we admit that we did it. Now they're just saying it publicly. Hmm. Midterms are coming up. Uh, enjoy your censorship because uh, we can't afford to lose the election. <sighs> yeah, that's one of the ways they did it. <laughs> right. I, yeah. Supreme Court. Uh, Justice Alito apparently released. A, no, well, he didn't release it. He didn't do it. He wrote an opinion. About the what was the vote for the five to four, five to uh, four. Uh, the name of the case is I can look it up real quick, but yeah, but it yeah, it's no, like they're striking down Roe versus Wade and overturning that. You're giving that power back to the states to decide how they want to uh, enforce or not enforce uh, abortion policy. And for the I, I think this is unprecedented in American history, which is why it's such a big deal that the opinion was leaked. Yeah, it's 100% never happened before. Well, okay, now where's the trust between, was it was it one of the left-leaning justices that leaked it, or was it a staffer? Like, hopefully that Allegations, allegations, well, yeah, so. Uh, I'm trying to find God, there's so much to get into here, because this is, this could have a profound effect on the election, too. They could, the left could completely oh, use this as a rallying cry. Oh, they're already, you can Oh, look at already. you. Well, you, uh, yeah. you fascists, you're, you're telling women what they can and can't do with their body. No, they're letting the states decide that, for, first of all. So you're wrong. You know, no laws have been changed to date. Um, but yeah, that they're going to they're gonna lose some of the women vote. I guarantee you that because of this opinion. The case is Dobbs versus Jackson. It was heard last year by the Supreme Court. Um, and it is the state of Mississippi, I think, has a fetal heartbeat bill that they mm-hmm. implemented um sometime so so i guess i'll back up a little bit more oh dude yeah when donald trump took over you want to say it real quick no no keep going when donald trump took over in 2016 as president of the united states we had an eight 
member Supreme Court with Justice uh, Justice Antonin Scalia's position currently vacant at the time, and uh, that that made a it was basically a four to four to one court. I mean, there were four conservatives, um, four liberals, quote unquote, and one significant swing vote, and that was um, not Breyer. Um, I can't think of it. It's the guy that uh, that ultimately Kavanaugh replaced. So, you know, McConnell blocked Obama's appointment of Merrick Garland, who's now our attorney general, uh, in his eighth year in office, saying the American voters should decide. So Trump wins. One of his first actions is to appoint Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch. Uh, Gorsuch gets on the court compared to everything that came thereafter in relatively benign fashion, because Gorsuch is a is a stud, right? Um, but he's a text he's a he's a textualist, an originalist in the Scalia mold. So you know it was kind of a like kind replacement as far as that goes. Meaning we got basically a Scalia uh, apprentice. I don't think he actually clerked for Scalia, but he definitely models his his philosophy after Scalia's. Right? What does the text say? What did they mean it when they wrote it? What did they mean when they wrote it? So that took it that maintained the four for one. Then you had um, the retirement of Anthony, uh, whatever, the retirement of the guy that Kavanaugh replaced, Scalia. who was, no, 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 that was Antonin Kennedy, uh, Justice, I think it's Anthony Kennedy, Anthony Kennedy, I don't know. Justice Kennedy, um, chose to retire. I think he was appointed by, by, um, by Reagan, but was pretty much a reliable liberal hmm. in terms of his voting. He was a he was a swing vote. No, that's right. Okay, that's what he he was the one. So it was four to four to one, one swing vote. Kennedy would side with the liberals on things like abortion, but would side with conservatives on anything related specifically to like free speech. To, um, well, I think that's the biggest right. And when he stepped down. He basically asked for Kavanaugh. I mean, it was pretty clear he worked the deal with the Trump administration that he would resign when he did because he feared this leftist, exactly what we're dealing with right now, dude. He saw coming an attack from the left because of the, the, the appointments made by Obama and then the, just the, sh- the hard left shift towards you know information control that he was seeing in the country. He said in his in his sort of in his farewell sort of address, he was particularly concerned about the attack on the First Amendment and wanted to make sure that whoever replaced him would be a First Amendment uh, champion. So he resigns. Kavanaugh gets on the Supreme Court after <laughs> plenty of controversy. And so now we had a five four majority. But one of those five is Chief Justice John Roberts, the Bush appointment, who was the swing vote in upholding Obamacare, right? Yeah. So it was more still, and what happened subsequently was he became even more of a swing vote for the next couple of years, um, siding with the liberals, I think, more often than the conservatives. Pretty when sure it was you a, normally refer to him as Chief Cuck. Uh, for sure. Chief Justice Cuck, yes. He's a cuck. <laughs> he describes himself as a institutionalist, 
So his political, his judicial philosophy is we're not overturning longstanding Supreme Court. We, you know, if, they, if something's been done a certain way for a long time, even if the Constitution doesn't really cover it, we're going to cover it, right? So, for example, with the Affordable Air Care Act, a.k.a. Obamacare, there's this penalty in there that you'll be taxed if you don't have insurance, right? The thing described it as a penalty. I can't remember the exact reasons why, but it didn't call it a tax. But the Obama administration pushed the idea that all this really amounts to is a tax, which the legislature has the authority to tax and spend for basically any reason they want. So they called it a penalty. And I don't remember why they chose to call it a penalty rather than a tax. I think it's because if they had called it a tax, it would have had to have gone through what's called the reconciliation process in the House and Senate, which any any bill that is going to raise revenue for the government or or uh, raise expenses, raise spending has to go through reconciliation, which bogs mm-hmm. everything down. And basically, even something that got passed through both houses can't get passed ultimately. So they couldn't call it a tax for fear of reconciliation. They were able to slam the thing home through party line vote, but they kind of teed up for the, the, for the Supreme Court this idea that, yeah, we didn't call it a tax, but it's just a tax. And so Chief Justice's Roberts opinion said that this is effectively a tax and the Congress has the authority to tax and spend. Therefore, it was legal. That's a. That is comparable to Roe versus Wade in the kind of stretch that it took to get there. So, yeah, his history of being uh, an institutionalist is, is long and distinguished. And the only time he breaks ranks from the liberals is when another liberal breaks ranks. You know, if there's a nine nothing vote, which there was just yesterday uh, on a on a First Amendment uh, uh, religious liberty case, which we should talk about. Um, if there's a seven to two vote where, you know, only Justice Crazy Sotomayor and Kagan are willing to go hard left, that sort of thing. But anytime it's a four to four, he was voting with the liberals for the most part. So we still basically had a split court. But then when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and they got and, and Trump got um, Amy Coney Barrett on the on the court, that created a five, three, one bullet basically bulletproof conservative majority right <clears throat> so that's where we are at the moment and so, it's not going to change with katanji uh, uh, brown jackson that's right because she's replacing uh justice Breyer, who is a consistent liberal a yeah. now, nowadays what we would call a leftist um he was way more likely to vote in favor of First Amendment causes than like Sotomayor. Um, Although, again, she voted in favor of of religious liberty yesterday. So even she can surprise you. Um, But to your point, even if she's more radical than he is, which we can probably all safely assume that she is, even though she claims to be a textualist and an originalist. Right. In the Scalia mold, supposedly. Define what a woman is. So, right. Yeah. Um, oh, that brings that, up meme of the week. The it's a yeah. it's a woman. She's pregnant at her at a sonogram. <laughs> she's asking the doctor, "Is it a boy or a girl?" And the doctor says, "Ah, we'll let the kindergarten teacher decide." Right. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the world we live in, Chisholm. Yeah. Oh, hopefully geez. not for long. 
Yeah. So anyway, sometime around the Kavanaugh confirmation, states across, cons- you know, very conservative states across the country began passing abortion bills. So let me now touch on Roe versus Wade. So back when Roe versus Wade was decided, which I think was in the 70s, I have it right here. Um, essentially, one of the states, I think it was actually Texas, had it had passed a um, basically a, a full block of abortion. Um, 1971, decided 1973. <clears throat> yeah, so te- Texas had made it a crime to uh, to have an abortion, and that case is you know so there was a there was a case ultimately that made its way up to the Supreme Court, and that court, I think in a five, four ruling decided that under the 14th amendment of the constitution that, um, a a woman had a right to an abortion. I'll get into why that's absurd and why the rise of, of the textualist originalist style of, uh, judicial interpretation can largely be credited to this decision and other similar decisions from the time from the 40s 50s 60s you had probably in large part due to the four terms of uh you know up to this point the most progressive president in u.s history uh uh franklin dr franklin roosevelt and the appointments he was able to made you had a court that when congress wouldn't act because something that the government wanted to do would not be popular with the citizenry like pretty much everything these days, the Supreme Court would just step in and make up law. But that's not the Supreme Court's job. The Supreme mm-hmm. Court is there to interpret the law of the land. Right. Congress's job is to make law, right? So you had judicial activism run amok. We still have it to this day at the lower levels, mostly from Obama appointments, where courts, especially the Ninth Circuit, I think, the one out in California, uh, the West Coast and, and like Hawaii, the three judges that make up the Ninth Circuit Appellate Court make up all kinds of law all the time in the name of progressivism. Um, thankfully, we have, as I mentioned now, a five to three to one bulletproof majority to rein them in. But anyway, in the 70s, the Federalist Society came together to start trying to you know, educate future attorneys and therefore judges on what the actual role of the judiciary should, should be. This case as an example, relied on the 14th Amendment, which says all persons born or naturalized naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny any to any person within its jurisdiction, the equal protection of the laws. So that's due process, right? And, you know, the idea that states can't basically abridge your, your rights, right? Yeah. In a very just torturous, you know, act of, of legal malfeasance, the author of the Roe versus Wade decision Uh, who was Justice Blackman at the time, basically argued that implicit in due process 
which like illegal search and seizure is covered by due process under the fifth amendment. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, if the government can't come in and illegally search and seize your property without due process, then that means you have some right to privacy. And if you have some right to privacy, then a woman having an abortion is a private matter. And therefore removing her right, her, her, her ability to have an abortion as a legal matter in any given state is a violation of that right to privacy and therefore due process and then unconstitutional. Forget about the fact that all throughout this, you have this refrain of person, 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 right? He doesn't really want to address the idea of what is a person. Now in the decision of Roe versus Wade, somewhere in there, I don't have it pulled up. You know, he does, they did acknowledge the court, that court acknowledged the idea that some limitation on abortions would be legal. And I think they even float out there. The I, idea I, I'll be honest. I don't have a problem with that. Like, um, if a, if a woman is raped or victim of sexual assault, like, I don't think she should have to carry that scar for nine months. Like I, I, I don't know. It's a very touchy subject, but yeah. So, so they, they sort of floated out there the idea that it seems like after 18 weeks that regulation becomes justifiable, but they, yeah. but they say, however, it is not for this court to set such a precedent. It's for Congress. For the rest of hussies out there. You've got your uh, 18 weeks to uh, cover up your mistake and, you know, deal yeah. with that. Uh, well, so, so it, you know, discretion they, that you don't want to be burdened by. They, they, they stepped into Congress's role by creating law about what due process meant as, as it pertains to abortion, because the Constitution certainly didn't say anything about abortion. But then they properly deferred to the Congress in saying there's some limit to win abortion, you know, some limits on abortions that should be constitutional. We'll let Congress decide what those are. We're not going to go speak to that. But 18 weeks sounds like a time frame by which you could start regulating it. Right. So ever since 1971, some states have had laws on the books about a 20-week abortion ban, 18-week abortion ban, right? But ever since Kavanaugh took office, states like Mississippi, Texas, Alabama, Georgia have been pushing the envelope to the max. In Texas, we know that we now have a six-week abortion ban, um, which got upheld by the court not long ago without having to overturn Roe versus Wade because of the way we crafted it here as like a civil enforcement by citizens uh, versus making it a crime or some weird Loophole. Do you think that we are alienating part of the swing voters by by pushing the abortion agenda so hard? Or do you think this is the time to strike while the iron's hot? Well, we have the numbers in the Supreme Court. Like I, part of me is like, yeah, this is great. I'm, I'm pro-life. But part of me is also like, maybe we should just leave this alone until after the midterms. And I guess it comes down to what's the what's more important, dude, winning elections or protecting unborn children? Oh, dude, I mean, in this, in today's day and age, I think that you, you, you kind of need to win the election first. Like, I, I, I don't, I think that, that the, I think the, the direction Listen, of the country the is can, going. If you kick the can down the road to the point where you've won the election, are you going to address it then? Because every two years we have elections in this country for the Congress. And every four years we have elections for the president. Of the United States, Here, it's right? never, so at some we, point, if you're going to address it, we can't it, afford to, to lose, dude. We can't afford to lose these midterm elections. We cannot do, afford do, to do it. How do we know that we will? So here's the thing, man. What we I want to see, like if we like there's a disinformation governance board, like I, what I the hell? Like, I know we can't afford to lose the election. And that's going to totally complicate what I'm about to say. But. What we need to be able to educate people on in this country, particularly the swing voters that you're talking about, 
because the ideologues aren't going to care, is that Roe versus Wade being struck down does not make abortions illegal in this country. Right. What it does is it says the rallying cry. The states will decide how to handle abortion. It's no different. And if and until Congress, you know, Uh, they make they make they make it what it isn't. Like we know that the don't say gay bill was really just the parents' right to dictate what's taught in the classrooms in Florida. And this is this this is no different than that. They're going to call it something that it isn't. There's even extensive polling on this, right? Where if you simply ask American, you know, two thousand Americans in a poll, do you think Roe versus Wade should be struck down? A slim majority of fifty-five percent, I think, roughly, will say no. But then if you ask them. Do you think states have the right to decide uh, how to regulate abortion? A majority says yes. And if you ask them, do you think that, that you know, reasonable limits on abortion should be in place, say, for example, a ban on abortions after 18 or 20 weeks? Like over two-thirds say yes, right? So the reality is the American population doesn't dig abortion by and large. But to your point, they've been miseducated about this court case. So we know what's going to happen here. The left-controlled media is going to lie to America. Well, they're not going to lie to America, dude, because the majority of Americans aren't listening to them anymore anyway. Right? Fox News has been the biggest cable news network since the 90s. They're not going to lie about what Roe actually says and what it actually does. This court case, apparently, I haven't read it yet, but this decision that's been leaked goes into great detail about the fraud that Roe was in the first place. So hopefully, interested Americans will read it, right? The truth is, the American public is on the side of regulating abortion. All this does is kick it to the state level. And in the state of Texas, if we say we have a six-week abortion ban, that becomes a question of, does that allow Republican, does that cause Republicans to lose in the state of Texas, right? At a national level, I don't personally believe that they're going to be able to use this to turn the tide of, you know, everything that's been going on since Biden took office against the tide, the red wave that's coming. Maybe it's not quite as tall. Maybe, maybe it, you know, maybe they were going to swing it to even take in the Senate and maybe this puts majority control of the Senate in jeopardy. But is this issue more important to Americans than inflation and illegal immigration and the lies of Hunter Biden's laptop and all the other crap of the last few years? I don't think so, man. Mm-hmm. They are now 55 to 45. They've lost the Hispanic voters of America, you know, in, in basically by a bulletproof 55% majority. Guess who? among all demographics is the least likely to be down with abortion. Right. Yeah. Hispanic. If anything, you might see that number of Hispanics climb above 55% based on this. Hmm. But I just, I think the thing that sucks that gives credence to your concern is that we at least have the perception that the left controls information. But the reality is nobody's looking to those outlets anymore. Look what just happened to CNN plus. Right. Nobody cares what they say. It was only $300 million that they dumped into that. So so if people are looking to new outlets, to independent media right now, like, for example, um, I I listened to uh, 
Tim uh, Tim Pool, who marched, not marched, but he reported on, um, um, oh, what was the uh, the Wall Street protests during Obama, um, um, uh, the nine, the one percent stuff. You know what I'm talking about. Um, mm-hmm. Dude, when all those leftists were pro- were camping out in in Manhattan protesting that you know one percent of the population had all the money, what, uh, oh, I don't know. You don't remember what I'm talking about? Vaguely, yeah, vaguely. Um. Anyway, oh, man, that's tearing me up now. Um. Occupy, Occupy Wall Street. Okay. This is a guy who historically would have been a liberal, somewhat populist, right? who nowadays is being called and tarred and feathered as a right-wing extremist, right? Well, and, that's the narrative, yeah. Yeah. You know, on you go on his show, and he's been his eyes have been so opened based on his career in actual hardcore journalism to what the Constitution Are there people means? that still do that? Uh, I thought that was... Yeah, a- yeah, this guy's... This guy, I mean, he has his own media, like, We're doing empire. <laughs> the Daily Wire is, you know, one of the fastest-growing media outlets on the planet. Yeah. Tim Pool, you know, there are people in this country who are reaching larger audiences than these leftist news outlets who will explain, even if he disagrees with hardcore abortion regulation, all this does is make it a state issue. Right. That, that, and like you said, that's the that's the key. How do we make the masses understand that despite whatever headline is thrown out there, it's really just a state's right issue. So look to your that's local. Right. And, and, your and so. Back to your question, do we do this? First of all, these, these, these states decided to pass these laws. Lawsuits ensued, and this matter came before the Supreme Court of the United States. This has been brewing for over a year now because the Supreme Court decided to take this case almost two years ago, and the arguments were made last summer, right? And they spent the, the next year debating it, and now the decision has been leaked out, which we still need to touch on that. <sighs> okay. So, so this idea of like, should we have punted it out until the election? Well, that's not how the Supreme Court works, right? Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court has its own timeline and its own agenda. It's supposed to be a fully and wholly independent body from the political establishment. Good. Okay. Right? So they made their decision is what it is. Even if there was a way to have withhold held that. First of all, it would have had to have been the state of Mississippi not passing a fetal heart built, heartbeat ban, therefore not getting sued for, you know, being in violation of Roe versus When do you Wade, think that that getting... opinion was written? Was it, was it written last week, six months ago? Like how, how okay. soon, so that's a good whenever, I, whenever I, a decision I, is made, how soon does the public find out about it? Cause I have no idea about the, the inner workings of, you know, behind closed dude, doors. Of and and I on. don't either. And my sense is very few people in America really know. Um, I don't think unless you've been a clerk at the Supreme court level, or, you know, listen to those who have uh, uh, that really very many people at all know what that process looks like. But I also don't think it's one size fits all. Like, I think mm-hmm. case by case, there's a lot of variation. You know, I think there are certain things where by the time oral arguments ends, which, again, that would have been like last summer in this case, everybody knows this thing is doomed. Right. It's going to be nine to nothing based on the questions that the Supreme Court justice has asked. Right. Um, but then much more high profile and ten, you know, t- tenuous things like this to your point, I, I don't know. It's not. And that's why this leaking of this document is, uh, flat. I mean, it's as shocking 
as it's it's, it's probably I think it's if you've been keeping up with this case at all and with the makeup of the Supreme Court in the last five years, the fact that this leaked is actually more shocking than the, than the decision is. Like the, the, the just simple fact that this was this escaped from the protocol for the first time in Supreme Court history, that's more shocking than the fact that they overturned a 51 year old case mm. that is, you know, such a huge hot button issue. Because they had the votes. They've had the votes since, since uh, Barrett replaced uh, Ginsburg. Right. And <clears throat> so the allegations from the right right now are that leftist activists, or at least pro-abortion activists, within the Supreme Court staff leaked this out to create an S-show firestorm. Um seems the most likely to me. Um, the question is, well, and, and so as of today, it's working. I saw people uh, so, like holding a vigil outside of the outside. Oh, of the yeah, Capitol they were yesterday. they were calling them. They were chanting fascists at them last night. Yeah. Yeah. Saying these fascists have to go. The fascists are the guys who decided that the state should have the right to regulate abortion. According to the public opinion of their citizenry, govern me That's harder, fascism. daddy. That's Govern fashion. me harder, daddy. That's what they want, right? At the end of the day, they want to be governed harder. They want well, to I mean, hey, right? it's eviscerated in front of their freaking faces, and they're too stupid there's a and unintelligent to, to even understand what is happening. There's a flip they side will to never that get argument. Them back. There are a lot of red states who are going to go full bore right now to basically make abortion illegal, and you could argue that's hardcore government invention and intervention, um, and that comes back then again to is this life, is this a life? And if it is, is it a life that should be protected? Right. And that's the thing that the, the left has never been able to answer. Right. They've, they've, they're not willing to have that debate because they know if they call it a human life, they got a real problem on their hands. Right. So that's where they come up with euphemisms like fetus and, uh, you know, cluster of cells. Cause if it's a human being cluster of cells, then they're wrong. Right. And I'll say this, man, the wild ass push going back to, you know, Clinton's run in 2016 to abort nine month old pregnancies and the applauding of that sort of thing by the New York uh, Assembly. Right. And the recent bills by California that may or may not allow you to even let a, a baby born alive of a botched abortion just die on the table. And Governor, former Governor Ralph Norman of Virginia, who himself is a damn OBGYN, saying he was doing as much. Has got a lot more people looking at this in a whole different light, right? A whole bunch of people who, like me back in the day, just I don't even talk about abortion. It's just too, you know, I don't know. I don't know where I come down. I don't, you know, we, we've, we've been groomed. We have been groomed to be deferential to a woman's right to choose on this by the pro-abortion crowd. 100%. Groomed to that mindset. Because if you and I have a real, we could spend an hour talking about when does life begin? My guess is you and I would agree at the moment of conception. Mm. And if we agree that it's at the moment of conception, yet we're willing to say, but you can have an abortion up to 18 weeks, then we have to acknowledge that a single individual woman has the right to terminate a life on her own volition, 100% with no you know, ifs, ands, or buts about it, and not be penalized for that. Where if that baby was one hour old or one minute old or one second old, doing so would be murder, right? 
So it is oh, a so uncomfortable to talk about. And that's the part of the reason why they've gotten away with it this long, dude. It's because it's horribly uncomfortable to talk about. As we, here's there a, are sticky and gross situations. Here's a segue. And I've been thinking about this a lot. And it comes from Governor Kevin Stitt in Oklahoma. His, this bill that he just signed is, is what got me thinking about this. And we're being called fascists and racists as conservatives, all left and right. All I mean, that's their, and that's always their their trump card, right? Is well, you're you're a racist, no matter you're a white man, you're a racist. End of the story. If you disagree with them, well, you're just a bigger racist. So they they hold this over our head, but they have jumped the shark so far, as far as just going so extreme, so radical, that I think the conservative party now is like, oh, let's be one step ahead of them and let's just get legislation in place that would prevent them from their next crazy-ass thing they're going to do. So, and, and this, is, this is what Governor Kevin Stitt did. He just passed a bill that makes the parent assign the kids, well, I guess the, the gender at birth is what you have to put on the birth certificate because people were trying to put non-binary on their freaking infant's birth certificate. Yeah. Unbelievable. You're so mentally ill before you're even a parent as an individual to think that you could put non-binary if your kid has a dick. It's it's. I don't understand. So now we have the conservatives saying, well, we're just going to preempt that kind of BS malarkey and we'll just put laws in place that don't allow you to do that because it's idiotic. And wait, oh, but you're the party of science. Oh, well, I see a pecker on that little kid. So that's a boy. So anyway, I, I, the, the whole point of that was, I think we've reached this tipping point where now the conservative legislators are like, well, now we just have to preemptively get laws in place to make sure that these jackasses don't do something else crazy because you know it's coming yeah well and i think that's important because who would have ever you thought know? we had to have a a, a, like a law week, yeah. a law that said you can't put non-binary on your kid's birth certificate who would have so, ever thought that while you were talking my phone lit up next to me and i, I saw it apparently in 1982 joe biden voted for a constitutional amendment that would overturn Roe versus Wade and make it a state issue. Huh? How funny is that? Um, yeah, no, I, you're right. Republicans are having to get preemptory here and that's what the culture war has brought us. And that's what, that's what honestly Donald Trump has brought us, right? Republicans, despite being called by the left, the party of hate and the fascists and et cetera, et cetera, have been historically way too polite to fight these battles like they needed to, right? Mm. To have this hard, yeah, yeah. To have this hard conversation about when does life begin, right? Because we, a lot of us have these feelings about what about rape and what about incest and what about this, what about that, right? And so they've just punted and they, by punting, you know, the argument I made in our second episode about when we lost the second amendment argument, when we stopped talking about protecting liberty and started talking about self-defense and hunting, right? Because it's real uncomfortable to talk about the need to maybe one day have to protect liberty. Dude, I see right? it coming up on social media more and more. Yeah, you do. More comments. like You can bet your ass there's going to be a crackdown on it, dude. 
that shit's coming. Yeah. And bet your ass that shit's coming. But here's the scary thing. Anyway, then, this, what's this the thing next that, thing? Are they knocking on your door then at that point? We shall see, bro. We shall see. So um, there's a whole bunch of stuff in this thread I'm looking at right here, dude, about how uh, hours before the uh, this decision leaked, that uh, the, the Planned Parenthood and others in the abortion industry announced $150 million in funding for mid, the midterm elections. Like it was, it, it was all coordinated, dude. The Democratic National Convention. They're making the point. Have you heard about that book, that, that movie that's coming out, The 2000 Mules? It's drop, dropping this weekend. Just, yeah, I just saw it for the first time today. Yeah. They, they feel like it, that at least part of the rationale for this leak is to completely divert all attention from the movie 2000 Mules. Hmm. All seems plausible to me. I mean, yeah. these, these sorts of things are definitely timed for purposes, for reasons, right? Like, I mean, go back to the start of the Ukraine talk, dude. When this Ukraine, when, when Biden started telling us that, you, you know, Russia's about to invade Ukraine, it was right about the time that the state started to acknowledge the state of, you know, the U.S. Oh, I should say the, the media state started to acknowledge the Hunter Biden stuff. Right. Mm. Yeah. There's always a major bombshell that's deliberately dropped to overwhelm the news coverage when there's a Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, <laughs> investigation going on or a Hunter Biden investigation going on or 2000 mules dropping, which is all about illegal ballot boxes and, and you know, that sort of stuff, which didn't happen. Most popular president ever. So Chief Justice Cook, to his infinite credit, uh, already came out today and said he is launching an investigation into who leaked this um, because it is such a and he didn't vote for it. It's a five four. He 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 joined the other three. I assume it was him. It had to have been him. Right. That that did not that apparently will not be voting. But they all, the Supreme Court also has acknowledged it's real that this is real that the decision has been made. You know, here shortly, I suppose we'll see the actual decision released formally. In the meantime, Chief Justice Cook is moving forward with an investigation to figure out who did this. That SOB better be legitimately held liable for what happened here. I don't know if it's a crime. I don't know what can be done. Um, you know, but this is egregious. And unprecedented. And, uh, yeah. Um, well, you know, we're, we're out of time, but... Uh... I guess we could talk about it quickly or do you want to save student loan forgiveness, debt forgiveness, or do you want to hit on that? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it next week. Yeah. I have I a mean, lot of thoughts on that to too. Report. As someone who, uh, yeah, I mean, well, we could at least I mean, talk about, it, because... about it, but, but yeah, there, he hasn't like, just as of yesterday, he was asked and he's like, I haven't made a decision yet. So I yeah. haven't looked at that closely. I don't have any, I don't have a take. I mean, I have a I take. Have a it's stupid, but that, um, someone who I'm not up to speed on what they're, I know that like, back my student loans for decades. Yeah. Uh, and what it would mean financially for the rest of us. Yeah, it definitely means inflation gets worse, which just makes it hilarious that they're even talking about it. <laughs> it's just definitely a way to buy off however many voters would come with, you know, basically everybody who he forgives is going to be a Democrat for life, right? That's the thing, man. Everything from the border 
to, you know, the disinformation thing to the don't let don't require a voter ID thing to let's just, you know, forgive these idiot millennials for getting going in hock to get a, you know, feminine dance theory uh, degree or whatever. No, whoa, whoa, whoa. Chisholm, that's a little harsh. I mean, that was that was a legit women's studies degree they got. Yeah. All of this is about the fact that, dude, at the end of the day, the perception that the Democrats are the majority in this country is a complete fabrication, man. They dominate New York City, L.A., and D.C., and therefore they dominate perception. But it is simply not real. Yeah, they dominate every major city. I mean, that's not... that. You could throw Dallas, Texas, but not Seattle, not but but Portland, not as heavily. You're right. They they do. Boulder, Denver, Houston, all of them. They do, oh, but they don't. Austin, they don't. Texas, this armpit of Texas. They do, but they do not dominate major cities in say Texas the way they dominate New York City or L.A. or San Francisco. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there you got eighty percent Democrat majorities. Where in right. Dallas, Fort, all throughout Dallas, Fort Worth, it's probably like what fifty five percent, maybe sixty in certain yeah. counties. Yeah, maybe. And so the point there, and which is important, is that if 40 percent of the of Dallas County still votes Republican, that's a big, damn important you know, difference in the state elections. When 80 percent of rural people are voting Republican. Exactly. So. Right. Exactly. Because we don't vote by county the way we vote by state in the presidential election. Right. Mm. Um, either for the state positions or for the uh, national positions. Right. We vote as a state. So, you know, because you can look at New York as a state and California as a state, 80% of the landmass of both of those states is conservative. I think that's true for New York. It's definitely true of California. You've got LA, San Fran, you know, and and then the whole rest of the state is red as it can be. But all the people live in LA and San Fran. And... (laughs) I won't make allegations about the 2020 presidential election nationally, but that state is crooked as the day is long in terms of how they rig elections. Period. Like, it's no holds barred out there. They rig the hell out of those elections. Well, you don't even have to have an identification card to vote, dude. Right. They let illegal immigrants vote. No, you just show up, vote. Uh, you want to vote again tomorrow? Be my guest. Right. Um, all right. Well, I certainly enjoyed today's broadcast i think there was a a lot of history there from roe versus wade that i probably learned in seventh grade u.s history and have since forgotten um so that was nice to to kind of take another look at that and applaud the supreme court here for doing something that honestly did you think that would happen um, not that their opinions wouldn't be a five, four, but that they would even, I guess I just didn't even know that they took this case two years ago. See, and, and I did. And so that's why I'm not, I, I really, the, I, some of the podcasts that I listen to are heavy on this issue, heavy, um, and specifically heavy on Supreme. Like I have one pod, I don't listen to it much anymore because David French hosts it and he's basically a leftist in conservative clothing. Um, so they, they, they kind of annoy me, but from just keeping up with what's going on in American jurisprudence, it's, it's a great episode. And he is a pro-life guy. So he's very conflicted. Um, <laughs> knowing that they had even taken the case. See, for the last... I think the majority of Americans even knew until this was a headline because I'm sitting here 
doing this show with you. And I was like, oh, I didn't I didn't know they were even talking. Oh, I about guarantee it. the left didn't really want to make a big deal out of it to speak of, you know, but to since a case in the 90s that upheld Roe uh, called Casey. Uh, Casey versus Ferguson, I think. Basically, everything, everything since the 90s, the Supreme Court has just refused to take up uh, these challenges to Roe versus Wade. Um, they just refuse to take it. So when the conservative, a legit five, three, one conservative majority agreed to take this case, everybody in the know on Supreme Court jurisprudence who understood the backgrounds of the three justices appointed by uh, Trump have been saying this might be the one. This might happen. This might go down. Hmm. Um, I do want to reiterate another big win that now nobody's going to be talking about is yesterday a case was decided out of the city of Boston, a Supreme Court case was decided where the city of Boston had allowed maybe for Flag Day in particular, like 20 something flags to be flown across the city of Boston. And like the only one they rejected, I don't have these, I don't have a great handle specifically, but this is my understanding of it. The only one they rejected was a Christian flag. Nine to nothing, even, you know, Chief Justice, even Chief Justice, even Justice, you know, 80% of children are in the hospital with COVID or whatever. Sotomayor and even <laughs> Kagan joined with everybody else with a brain. Kagan has a brain, which is scary. Uh, to vote in favor of the First Amendment for, uh, you know, religious protections. In a case yesterday, I basically I about that story, like why were they persecuting or why why did they single out this one? Because were were any of the other flags religious based? Um, that's a good question. I'll dig a little bit more into it. I don't it. know let's, because let, I don't let's let's remember the backstory there. But let me look at it and maybe we can regroup a little bit on it next week. <clears throat> a little five. We've minutes. seen Christians persecuted in the last two years more so than any time in my life. Like, uh, you, you know what? Strip clubs are open, but you can't go to church. Like, right. Oh, dude, what? I'm sorry. How does something that else that just popped up from Gateway Pundit? Let me drop this on everybody to take a closer look at that. The CDC used phone location data to monitor churches and schools to determine whether Americans followed lockdown COVID lockdown orders. Who gave the CDC permission to spy on us? Nobody ever. Oh, I can't. I'm having a hard time just wrapping my mind around. How did the CDC have access to that information? Like, how are they tracking cell phones and gathering? I don't understand. How did they have the Center for Disease Control? How would they even? So the government's giving them the information then, right? How uh, else would they get it? Or what, what, I mean, mean, how you mean Silicon Valley is giving the government information? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Or are they just giving it right? Or are they skipping the government and just giving it right to the CDC? Uh, like how yeah, do they, how are they have like talked about I have AT and T I have AT and T how does how does the CDC have have permission or have been given my location which should be private information right but we've already talked about homeland security all that BS so I guess it's not private but how did the CDC get access to that who who said who signed off on that uh, dude this is mind blowing nobody yeah no dude uh, dude. The Constitution has effectively ceased to exist. That's why you can go back to when we were talking about the outcome of the election and getting ready for Biden's, you know, taking over the government. I hung all of the hopes of America on a f bulletproof 531 conservative majority in the Supreme Court and just and, and Senator Joe Manchin. And guess who's already stepped up and said he's not willing to abolish the filibuster 
to ram through a pro, you know, a, a reinstatement of Roe versus Wade through Congress. Senator Joe Manchin. Still the most powerful man in America. Baddest mf there is, dude. Remember that guy who wrote us and like, don't expect Manchin to hold up. Like, bro, thanks for listening. But so far, your boy there in, in West Virginia is, um, he's a rock. God, he's taking so much heat too. He's been out of the news lately though. Uh, he's in the news right now, bro. I'm sure he'll take a lot of heat. And they're for this. chanting for his. I head. wonder where um, the what's the uh, cinema? I wonder where she stands on that as a woman. Yeah, I'm interested to know too. Um, if she's consistent, she won't support abandoning the filibuster regardless of where she stands on rope. Right. And I have a feeling if push comes to shove, that's how she'll, that's how she'll explain it. Well, don't disappoint us, Christine. Is I don't think she's going to have to. I think, what's her name? I think, I think that, dude, I think, uh, Kristen Cinema. Kristen Cinema. Kirsten. I think her and Mansion take turns. People need to. It, kind of based on the demographics of their state and their constituencies, man, <clears throat> on matters that are that were where the citizens of Arizona and West Virginia align, they'll both stand up together and take the firefight, you know, take on the fire on matters where maybe pur- more purple Arizona, you know, who obviously voted for her recently, uh, is, you know, is more liberal than than West Virginia. Mansion takes the heat, cinema takes the back seat so my guess would be she won't be forced to speak to it hmm. what'll be interesting yeah, i still can't wrap my head around the fact that the cdc was tracking what whether people were meeting for religious gatherings i i, I don't understand that uh, keep in mind that was a gateway pundit headline and i haven't read the article yet and lately gateway pundit has been saying things in their headline that doesn't necessarily you know match what they print and what the links that they provide say so you know all right so more to come on that but it doesn't surprise me i bet they've been doing that they definitely have the technology to do it did you see where fauci so what was the there was a big white house thing yesterday or this weekend uh trevor noah was there and he was ripping the establishment a little bit which was interesting yeah uh what was it it was uh i forget what it was called but uh so Fauci said that he he wasn't going to come. Did you know that? Because it was the the risk of COVID was too great. Do you right. know where Fauci was the day before? He was at the pre party, yeah, just think, hanging unmasked out, even right, unmasked, just yeah. chilling at the pre parties. So it was just a total yeah. ploy, a grandstanding. Look at me, I'm not going to go to the party, but right. there you were at the pre parties. You Douche. son of a bitch, Douche. Lord Fauci. Um, okay, well. We've gotten a little long-winded here today, but uh, certainly I thought it was a good conversation. Big stuff going on, dude. Big stuff. So much, dude. When our (laughs) pre-show texting, it was like, where do we even start? (laughs) All the stuff. And then while we're on there, here comes the Gateway Pundit. Did you know the CDC was spying on Christians? Uh, But Oh, we never even got to your point. 9-0 Supreme Court withheld uh, freedom of religion and expression. In Boston. Yeah. While you've been talking, I, I kind of took a glance at it. And the long and short of it is there are four flags that fly out in front of Boston City Hall. One is the U.S. flag, the state of Massachusetts flag. And I think Boston has its own flag. And then the fourth is available for other flags to be flown by local groups who put in basically a petition to the city. It's like a public flagpole. Right. Right. So this Christian group 
wanted to fly a flag with a cross on it. And essentially, I didn't get enough of the detail. I didn't get an answer to your question of whether they'd ever allowed another religious, religious flag to fly. I don't think so. I think they've basically just never rejected basically any flags. Um, I can guarantee you that there's been a gay, you know, an LGBTQ flag and a BLM flag. I'm saying that For sure. I read it, but I guarantee those two have flown in the last few years. I guarantee and, um, it. The interesting thing is the holding. So those who opposed the state city of Boston, probably in good faith, to be honest with you, felt that flying a Christian flag would be the established, would be the government basically backing a specific religion, which the First Amendment it doesn't protect Christianity. It says the government now shall not establish a religion, right? It's the Establishment Clause. So it's the freedom of religion means the government cannot dictate what, a, what religion people should take up, right? That's why, like, you can have a... You can have a moment of silence before a high school football game. You cannot pray to Jesus Christ, right? Because it's a state institution, and therefore you can't pray specifically to Jesus. And some places get around that by just praying to the creator or, or whatever, right? So mm -hmm. their take was, if we let a Christian flag fly, that's the city, the city promoting Christianity, which would be a violation of the First Amendment. And what the Supreme How terrible. Court, so the, How so terrible. the appellate court, the appellate court upheld that rationale. And when it went to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court said, no, what you've created is a public forum with this flagpole by letting everybody else come fly their flag and having it literally an open forum. That so sounds would be a lot no like, different. like Twitter, right? It would, it would be no different than, uh, yeah, it does. Than if well, like how, on how the Twitter steps. supposed to be, anyway. Yeah. It'd be no different than if on the steps of, of, the, of, the, of the city council building, city hall, they had every Friday afternoon from two to three, you know, a, a, a lectern where anybody could come talk about their political issue of the day or their religious issue of the day. That just like having a space for public discussion, the Supreme Court ultimately held having this flagpole open to applicants does not mean that the city was endorsing a specific religion by allowing the flag. And in fact, because you don't have a history of fair treatment here, uh, you, you couldn't reject it. It was an open flagpole, basically. Open mic. Yeah. <sighs> All right. That's interesting. Well, good stuff. Uh, that is going to do it for episode 75 of Justified Pursuit. For my good friend, Chisholm Cook, I'm Cable Smith, and we will see you guys next week. How do you like my multitasking? <laughs>